I'm glad that this church appreciates and honors the value of Scripture in our lives and how important it is. And uh, you're going to get a lot of it this morning. I'm reading out of 2 Samuel chapter 22. Hang in here with me. If it looks familiar to you, it's because it's the same as Psalm 18. You can read along either place. David sang to the Lord the words of this song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, my refuge, and my Savior. From violent men you save me. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I am saved from my enemies. The waves of death swirled about me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called out to the Lord. I called out to my God. From His temple, He heard my voice. My cry came to His ears. The earth trembled and quaked. The foundations of the heavens shook. They trembled because He was angry. Smoke rose from His nostrils. Consuming fire came from His mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under His feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness His canopy around Him, the dark rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of His presence, bolts of lightning blazed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot arrows and scattered the enemies, bolts of lightning, and He routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed and the foundations of the earth laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of breath from His nostrils. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because He delighted in me. The Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, He has rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord... I have not done evil by turning from my God. All His laws are before me. I have not turned away from His decrees. I have been blameless before Him and have kept myself from sin. 
The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in His sight. To the faithful you show yourself faithful. To the blameless you show yourself blameless. To the pure you show yourself pure. But to the crooked you show yourself shrewd. You save the humble, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them low. You are my lamp, O Lord. The Lord turns my darkness to light. With your help I can advance against a troop. With my God I can scale a wall. As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He is a shield for all who take refuge in Him. For who is God besides the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms us with strength and makes our way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to stand on the heights. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. You give me your shield of victory. You stoop down to make me great. You broaden the path beneath me so that my ankles do not turn. I pursued my enemies and I crushed them. I did not turn back till they were destroyed. I crushed them completely and they could not rise. They fell beneath my feet. You armed me with strength for battle. You made my adversaries bow at my feet. You'd made my enemies turn their backs in flight and I destroyed my foes. They cried for help, but there was no one to save them. To the Lord, but He did not answer I beat them as fine as the dust of the earth. I pounded and trampled them like mud in the streets. You have delivered me from the attacks of my people. You have preserved me as the head of nations. People I did not know are subject to me, and foreigners come cringing to me as soon as they hear me. They obey me. They all lose heart. They come trembling from their strongholds. The Lord lives. Praise be to my rock. Exalted be God, the rock, my Savior. He is the God who avenges me, who puts the nations under me, who sets me free from my enemies. You exalted me above my foes. From violent men you rescued me. Therefore... I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing praises to your name. He gives his king great victories. He shows unfailing kindness to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. May God bless the reading of this word. Well, it's good to be back. And we had a good trip. And we... uh, been back, I guess, most of the week. When we got back, uh, you know, it's time to wash clothes when you get back. 
And, and so we, Julie went to put a load of clothes on. She said, Neil, something's wrong with the washing machine. And so I'm looking at it, and I'm, I did some research the next day, and, and I felt I was certain what the situation was. But before I ordered any parts or anything, I thought, well, I'll take a look at it and see. So, you know, I'm not a washer repairman, but we live in the era of YouTube. And on YouTube, you can find just about anything now. And so I found this person working on a washing machine, the same issue, you know, same kind of washing machine. And I watched it, you know, and I thought, I got this. And so I felt so good. I was headed home, and and I and I got there, and I, I pulled it out and unhooked it. Uh, you know, I may have spilled water everywhere, but we got that cleaned up. And then <laughs> everything was going smoothly. And I got to the point where I was about to lift the lid, and and I was going to look in, and I knew exactly what I was going to see when I opened it because I had watched the YouTube video. All right. And so I had this feeling, I don't know, ladies, if y'all ever get this feeling. I think a lot of us, you know, men, we like to fix stuff. That's just one of the things, the way that God wired a lot of us. We like to fix things. And so there's that feeling you get, and guys, I don't know, maybe some of you can identify that, like when you know you're about to fix something for your wife, or you know you're about to fix something for someone, you're like, oh yeah. It's just a, it's just a good feeling, like, oh yes. This is. And I opened that thing up. And everything was fine. <laughs> I did not see what I was sure that I was going to see. I, I thought, well, I'm going to fix this thing so easy. And it was, I was mad that the thing wasn't broken. <laughs> because I was planning on fixing it and being the hero. And, and so I had this great feeling and I opened it up and it was fine. And I, you know, I shook it all around. Everything seemed to be fine. Put it back together, which was harder than taking it apart. And then told Julie, I said, I don't know. And so we tested it again. It's worked fine ever since. She says I fixed it. I don't know. I'll take it. I guess uh, we we like to to fix stuff. And so you should be glad today because David the poet is going to teach us something about fixing this problem that we all have. In fact, it's the problem we all have. Uh, I don't know, if, if you're a Christian, or even if you were Jewish, you would, uh, you would probably agree with this too, but we believe that when God created everything, it was good. It was very good. It was as it should be. And then we believe that humankind decided, at, at the prompting of our enemy... Who, who planted a seed of deceit in our hearts and in our minds, we decided that, we, you know, God was the creator, but we decided that we wanted to be that. We decided that we wanted to give worship and credit and honor and glory to created things, including ourselves, rather than to the creator to whom it was due. And this is what sparked, we believe, all the brokenness in our world because there is only one creator, there is only one God and when we act like there's not things don't work as they should and when we act like we are God things don't work as they should and it has a lot of bad consequences it is the problem scripture teaches us it's what we believe and David the poet this guy who was said to be a man after God's own heart. He seemed to understand something almost intuitively. He, 
He's one of the great teachers on worship in all of history. And he has something to say about how to fix that problem. Because ultimately that is, that's a worship problem. We get our worship off on the wrong stuff a lot of times. That's, that's the root of our problem. And so today, we have an opportunity to learn to sit at the feet of one of the great teachers of worship and to learn how to fix something that we know definitively is broken. It's not iffy like the washing machine situation. It's for sure. Turn on the news. And you'll see that it's broken. And so let's talk about how we can do our part to fix it. Now, we've looked at this guy, David, for a couple of weeks. If you're not familiar with him, he's one of the most famous people in history. Certainly in the Bible, his name, that name David, is mentioned more than any other single name. And there's a reason why. For the Jewish people, he was the king who came and established Israel as a nation. Before that time, they were a nation, but it didn't look like much of a nation. But he is the guy that God used to subdue their enemies and secure the borders and boundaries so that they could enjoy some semblance of peace and could actually prosper as a nation and have an economy that worked and so forth. You need that kind of thing. And so he's the guy that provided that. He's also their hope because it was from David's line that all the prophets said would come the long-awaited Messiah. The one God would send to set up his kingdom on earth forever. And for Christians, we believe that was the one they called the son of David, the one we call the son of God, Jesus Christ. And David is like a signpost pointing to him in so many ways. And we talked the first week about how David, you know, he spent his early days as a shepherd, as a shepherd boy, and and we told stories about that. But, you know, he points to the good shepherd, right? The gentle shepherd, the shepherd of our souls. And then last week we talked about David the warrior. So it's kind of funny today to come to David the poet, you know, warrior, poet, Who is this guy, right? Uh, you know, for a lot of us, that feels pretty weird. You know, when was the last time you heard of a, I don't know, like a UFC fighter or a football player or a U.S. Marine who was sharing some poetry from his heart? It doesn't happen very often, right? And, and most of us, you know, we don't think of, of poetry as a, as a very manly endeavor. But this guy's man credentials are not in question, <laughs> We talked about what kind of warrior this guy was. It's safe to say that there's not a man among us who would want to tangle with this guy in hand-to-hand, fist-to-fist combat. So when he stands up and says, I'm also a poet, we say, okay. (laughs) Sounds good. Uh, And he writes some good stuff. In fact, if you open up the book of Psalms, it's like the hymnal of the Bible, and, and there's the majority of those are attributed to David. He was not just, you know, we can safely assume that when he was out there shepherding in the fields, he was also playing, learning to play instruments, learning to write songs, learning to sing. 
And he got good enough at it that he became the king's musician, basically. When, when the king would have uh, spells where he wasn't feeling well, then they'd call in David. And David would play his harp, David would sing, David would, you know, maybe some of the songs that we read in the book of Psalms, maybe those are some of what he sang. But there's so many of them that he had to have kept writing. And some of them are about things in his life that took place later. So this guy that was a a warrior and had been a shepherd was also, I mean, maybe we would call him a a singer-songwriter today. He was a poet. He loved to worship God in music and through lyrics. And some of his are some of the most famous writings in the world today, hands down. I mean, the 23rd Psalm You don't have to be a Christian to know that one, right? It's famous. Psalm 139. These are famous writings and songs. And what's amazing is they're translated. I mean, this is poetry that's translated into English. So it loses a lot of its poetic nuances and the rhyme and, and and the meter and all that stuff gets kind of lost when we change the words up and move them into English. And so... You know, we think it's awesome, and we don't even know the half of it. (laughs) David the poet understood something. That few people, especially few people of his level of success, understand. I mean, this is the guy who took Goliath down in front of everybody and instantly became a hero. How many people do you know that become instant celebrities and they keep a, a, a good sound head on their shoulders, right? Not very many. This is the guy who, you know, when Saul was still the king of Israel, the ladies in town would sing, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. All the ladies loved David, right? More than even the king. He was so famous, so popular. This is the guy that even in his old age, his own son who was trying to kill him and overthrow him and take the throne was shaking in his boots at the thought of going up against his old man. (laughs) He was worried. That's how fierce of a warrior David was. That's how feared and revered he was. So it's amazing to me that he's also the guy that teaches us about worship and about putting our worship where it belongs. Because we would expect someone of that much success to put it all on themselves. To bask in their own glory and in their own success. To take all the credit. But David doesn't do that. David was known for his worship. For worshiping with with abandon. There's this time that's recorded where he was apparently dancing through the streets Naked. I prefer to think of it as half naked. But he was dancing through the streets, let's say half naked, and just being a nutcase, you know, it's a different culture. But he was being what they called undignified in his worship of God, just totally abandoned in the public streets. His wife, who was a daughter of the previous king, who knew how kings should be acting because she grew up in a king's house called to him and said, you are making a fool of yourself. Get it together, man. (laughs) To which he said, I will celebrate before the Lord. He said, I will become even more undignified than this. 
I will be humiliated, he said, even in my own eyes. David loved the Lord. He loved to worship the Lord with abandon. He, he was willing to be undignified, unkingly. He was willing to be humiliated in the eyes of all the people, his own wife, even himself. He was fiercely devoted to worshiping his God. I think probably there's too many of us that are a little bit too concerned about being dignified in our worship. I'm not suggesting y'all go start coming half naked. Not saying that. (laughs) We'll ask you to put on some clothes. But, (laughs) we could loosen up a little bit. We could worry a little bit less about what our neighbors think. We could. It's alright to cry sometimes. It's alright to clap your hands sometimes. It's okay to even raise your hands sometimes. That doesn't label you as anything. It's okay to be a little less than dignified sometimes when we are worshiping our God. He deserves it. So David teaches us a lesson. And it's an important lesson. It's the lesson that maybe you could say is most important because it gets back to Fixing that problem, the problem that we have. And I think that lesson, you know, we see it well in that really long psalm that we just read. I mean, as we read that, there were some times that David talked about himself and what he had done and what he had accomplished, but it was always in this context of understanding clearly where the credit belonged. He would say things like, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. He's my stronghold, my refuge, my savior. From violent people you save me. There's not too many people like David who want to talk about someone else saving them. Someone else delivering them. Someone else coming to their rescue. There's not too many of us that want to talk about someone else coming to our rescue, that we needed someone else to save us. But David does. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. It's not too many of us who are willing to say, that was too much for me. I couldn't handle that. But God could if there was something David could do, it was credit to God. With your help, God, I can do this. With your help, I can do that. It's you, it's God, who arms me with the strength, who keeps my way secure. Therefore, I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing the praises of your name. Not just at home, not just amongst like-minded people, but publicly, Among the nations that don't even know you, I'm going to declare who you are, what you've done in my life, that all the credit for all the successes of me and our nation belong to one guy, God. And of course, I love that, you know, the way David writes poetry, I mean, he's still, he's a warrior writing poetry, and so, you know, it's, you know, fire came from his nostrils and lightning burned up the enemy, you know, it's manly poetry, but it's still poetry. But I think, you know, David, the the big question 
that we have to ask ourselves if we ever want to fix the problem is do you give God all the credit he deserves? I think if you boil our problem down to its most basic form, if you boil, it's a worship problem. And if you boil worship down to its most basic level, worship is giving God the credit that he deserves. Not many people do that. We, we all have a tendency to want the credit. To need the credit. Even when we act like we don't want the credit, we really want the credit. It's hard for us to give God all the credit He deserves. If we're not taking the credit for ourselves, we're giving it to ourselves indirectly. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll worship stuff, but really, it comes back to us most of the time. You know, you might worship that car in your garage (laughs) but really the reason you worship is it's in your garage or you wish it was in your garage (laughs) anyway David asks us the question do you give God all the credit that he deserves how much credit does God deserve How much credit does God deserve for just being God? I want to just, we're going to play some of David's greatest hits. And of course we don't have the music for it, so we're just going to read them. But, (laughs) how much credit does God deserve just for being God? He wrote things, David wrote things like, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. He said, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains. And your justice like the great deep. God's character. The fact that He is the creator of everything. Means that He's due all the credit. (laughs) And if that weren't even the case, how much credit is God due just for what He's done in your life, what He can do in your life, what He wants to do in your life? Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. David said, as far as the east is from the west, so far as He removed our transgressions from us. He said, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. What has God done in your life? Who is He to you? How much credit does He deserve? How much can you give? David is also the one that taught us that giving God the credit, all the credit that He deserves cost you it cost you something if you think about it giving credit away always costs you something even in small ways I mean if you are say at work or at school or something and your co-worker or your classmate 
helps you with something or you help them with something and, and you all have some success and, but you point and say you give them the credit then all of a sudden they get the reward or they get the bonus or they get the promotion and you're like wait a second <laughs> it can cost you to give credit to someone else right that's maybe why so few of us do it I don't know but David taught us this lesson. In fact, I would say he was in the top three in Scripture of people who taught us this lesson. And the moment he taught it, there's this story where things were not going well in Israel. David had messed up. He messed up big. The whole nation was suffering for it. He was praying about it. And God, in his Justice and in his wrath relented. And David went to offer him an offering for his mercy, for his goodness, for forgiveness that David needed. And so he went to the place where God had shown mercy. It was a threshing floor up on a hill. It's a good place for a threshing floor. If you don't know what a threshing floor is, that's where they threshed grain and wheat. And that means that, you know, back in that day, without the technology we have today, you'd find a high place where there's likely to be some wind, and you'd take your grain up there, and you'd toss it up in the air, and the wind would grab all the junk, like the chaff, they called it, and blow it away, and the grain would fall back to the ground. And if you did that long enough, fun job, right? then hopefully all the chaff's gone and you're left with the wheat. And he went up to this threshing floor in a prominent place in Jerusalem and he asked, he asked Arana the Jebusite, he said, well he didn't, it wasn't really an ask, it was more like a king thing of a, I'm going to buy this from you. <laughs> kind of the whole eminent domain concept, you know. And, but, but here's what Arana the Jebusite said. Take it. Let my Lord the King do whatever pleases him. Look, I will give you the oxen for the burnt offerings and the threshing sledges for the wood and the wheat for the grain offering. I I will give all of this. I mean, so the king said, hey, I'm going to buy this from you. He said, no, just take it. And I mean, that's a deal that most of us would sign up for in a hurry. I mean, you know, if someone said, came to the church and said, we want to give you all this stuff, we'd be like, yeah, give it to us. (laughs) We'll take it. David didn't, maybe partly because this was kind of personal for him. This was him needing to come to God and worship God, thank God for the mercy he had shown, ask his own forgiveness and so forth. So David's reply was, no, I insist on paying the full price. Catch this. I will not take for the Lord what is yours or sacrifice a burnt offering that costs me nothing. I think this is a problem we have. We're too often, with our mouth at least, giving God credit. But more often than not, we're giving God credit in ways that cost us little to nothing.
I will not take for the Lord what is yours. I'm not going to offer something that costs me nothing. If you want to give God the credit he deserves, it will always cost you something. Because he deserves everything. If you're going to give God all the credit he deserves, it's going to cost you something. Giving any credit costs something. David was one of the top three that taught us that. Maybe he was the first to say it so clearly as that. I know you're just dying to know who the other two are. So since you twisted my arm, I think number two would be the woman who came to Jesus and, and she had this really expensive jar of perfume. And she busted it open and poured it out over his head. And even Jesus' own disciples said it was a waste. That it could have been used to do some good. It was worth so much money. It's hard for us to picture a jar of perfume that's worth that much money. But then again, you know, stop by the department store and check the prices. <laughs> but this is on a whole different level, a whole different scale, and a whole different time. They said it was worth like a year's wages. Jesus said... What this woman has done will be remembered anywhere they talk about me, anywhere, anywhere they tell the gospel story about me. And so it is. <laughs> we still talk about it. Because her sacrifice was, was a precursor to the greatest offering ever given to God. And number one, what should be number one on anyone's top three list of people who taught us this lesson about giving God the credit costing you something is Jesus himself. In that moment, when there on the cross, as he prepared to breathe his last, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I offer you everything I've got. My last breath. And he breathed his last. And the Son of God had given himself up in the greatest act of worship ever performed in heaven or on earth. And so we know from these examples that if we want to give God the credit he deserves, it will always cost you something. I don't know where you're at today. Maybe like that woman you need to waste something. Maybe you need to waste more of your time in service to God. Waste more of your money. That's how the world would call it, right? Waste more of your talents and abilities in serving God. I don't know what it is for you, but I do know that if we're giving God all the credit He deserves, it's going to cost us something. Or maybe like David, you've been offering credit, you've been offering stuff, it's just been kind of cheap. And so like David, you need to recognize, no, I need to step it up a notch. Or maybe like David, you need to stop worrying so much 
about what other people think. Become a little more undignified with your worship. Whatever it is for you, know this. When you give God the credit He deserves, you're not just doing a religious thing. You're actually reclaiming some of what hell has stolen. Because our fundamental problem is this propensity to give credit to things that don't deserve the credit. To worship created things instead of the Creator. Our priorities have been so out of line for so long. We have all this brokenness in our world. But you can begin to take it back in your life, in your corner of this world, in some small way, just by determining that for you, you're going to give credit where credit is due. For you, you're going to give God all the credit that He deserves, even if that means it's going to cost you something. So every time we give God the credit He deserves, it's a game changer. It's a life-changing thing. It changes the world around us. So I dare you today to give God credit. Give Him credit until it hurts. Until it costs you something. And then give a little bit more. It's how much does this God deserve? Who made us. David said he knit us together in our mother's womb. Knew us before we were born. How much credit does this God deserve? Who before we even showed up. Before Jesus even showed up. Before David even showed up. He had a plan to rescue us. How much credit does a God like that deserve? Who even when we turned our back on Him and treated Him as if He was dead chose to come and die so that we could have life. How much credit does that God deserve? Maybe today you need to give Him everything for the first time. Your life. Your very life, just lay it in his hands. Maybe you did that a long time ago, but you haven't really been living like it, and it's time today. Just put your life back in his hands. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for who you are. For all you've done. God, we admit we have been sinful. At times we've taken the credit that you alone deserve. Holy Spirit, we want to do better. Teach us how to worship. How to worship bigger. How to give more credit even though it costs us even if it costs us everything. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.